You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Hey, listen, I just want to say thank you for those of you that have given uh, towards our year-end giving and our hope offering. I mean, uh, a generous church enables us to uh, fuel and fund ministries uh, like the date night, uh, which will be an outreach. Use it as an outreach, uh, as an opportunity to reach out to friends, family, and neighbors, and whatnot. Neighborhood groups, too. A lot of energy goes into that. A lot of that staff time goes into that. So I just want to thank you. We ended really, really strong. So we're set up for an awesome 2019. Can I just, can we take a moment and just celebrate and say thank you to all those that have given and serving? All right, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ministry that you're doing here in our church. Right now, we just invite the person and the work of the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds, to see the clarity of Scripture, to magnify Jesus Christ in our lives. We pray, God, that your word would give direction. And Lord, for many of us who have come today and we are in the middle of a mess, Lord, because of a bad mistake or a a big mistake, some bad choices, we just pray for your sovereign power to work through this time to give hope and healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I've titled the message, Bad Choices and Big Mistakes. And all of us, if we're honest, have done that. If we haven't, if we're not feeling the consequences of that right now, um, we probably will in the future. Uh, Bad choices and big mistakes, um, everybody goes through them. Uh, the, the message series is called Fixer Upper, and the idea is that we all, no one's perfect, and that we all need help. And uh, at North Valley, one of the values is, is just vulnerability, authenticity. And I think that's what um, uh, God's at work here, and you have the freedom to be you. You have the freedom to share the real you. And uh, my encouragement to you today is, as we're jumping into the scriptures, uh, we're going to look at one of the most classic stories that Jesus told, I think, to do two things. Number one is to highlight the, 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 the hurtfulness of humanity and the majesty of God and his mercy. Uh, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at the prodigal son story. We're in Luke chapter 15, picking up in verse 11. The first thing we see is this, this rebel. We're going to be introduced to the younger son, The scripture says in verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Immediately in the story where Jesus is telling a story of two sons and there's this one rebellious one. He's going to ask for the father to divide up the property. Let me tell you a few things about this passage and help you give a context. Number one, this is not customary procedure. This is a Jewish family that Jesus is telling the story of. And for the younger son uh, uh, to receive an inheritance or to divide up the family property was unheard of. And in, in most cultures, this is actually true too. So you don't get an inheritance until somebody dies. And the younger son is, in a sense, the second thing he's implying here that makes this really odd and rebellious is he's implying that his father's dead to him. He's, in a sense, saying, Dad, you're dead to me. You are irrelevant. Give me my inheritance now, is what he's saying. He's implying that the father's dead. And thirdly, what he's doing by saying this is he's, in a sense, cutting himself off from his family. He's saying, I... I don't have any intentions of coming back. 
I'm done with you guys. Look what this reckless living in verse 13, we see not many days later, this reckless living we see not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Uh, the reckless living would imply that he spent his money, he took all the, uh, the land, the property, the assets, uh, liquidated them, got his currency, got his cash, and went on a spending spree and fueled and funded stupidity, reckless living. Ignorance he easily would be understood to spend it on prostitutes, parties, uh, drinking, drugging, all the sorts. This is a story of a wayward kid who bought into a lie that life would be far better apart from the father's love. So he goes on to this experience captured in verse 13, but we're going to see the results of this rebellion. Verse 14 through 16. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. Notice that word, that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. A couple things here is uh, Jesus kind of highlights that he's in another country. It'd be like traveling out of your home country. He's a foreigner. He's subject to their laws, their way of doing things. He's outside of his comfort zone. And he finds himself in a terrible situation. Jesus tells the story that he had spent everything. He was broke, financially broke. A severe famine arose. That's economic downturn. There's not very much job opportunity. And then he finds himself in verse 16. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. There was a carob tree in the Mediterranean culture that had a, a seed and it was like a pod and it wasn't much good to eat, but it was decent for pigs. And if you know anything about pigs, they'd eat anything. And this guy is so broke, so down and out, that he's longing to eat those. He's got nothing. He's wasted everything. And then here comes the reality check, verse 17. Verse 17, and when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread that I perish here with hunger? How many of us have ever hit one of those points before, kind of rock bottom, where all of a sudden the lights come on and it's like a reality check. And it's like, this sucks. This is bad. That's where he's at. He's at the bottom and he starts to realize, this is, I believe, highlighting the work of the Holy Spirit, helping you to be convicted of your sin, realizing something's wrong. This is really foolish. He goes on and he's going to take right action. We're going to see 18 and 19, verses 18 and 19. Look what he says in verses 18 and 19. He says, I will arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Have you ever done that before? You find yourself in a really bad position, 
really bad choice, and it's like you're talking to yourself. You're rehearsing the speech of what you need to say before you get there. You know, okay, I've blown it, I've messed everything up, and I'm going to go in and I'm going to try to straighten things out. That's exactly what he does. And then in, notice what he says, a couple things about his speech. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. That's taking responsibility. He's recognizing he's offended God. He's offended his father. And then he goes so far to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's destroyed the reputation of the family. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And then in verses 20 through 24, we see something odd. Something completely unordinary. We see the reunion of this father and this son. He says, and he arose and he came to his father. So he makes that step. He goes home and then look at the work of the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion Let me stop right there. Compassion there is this idea of this deep sense of experiential knowledge of what this son had gone through. For any of you that are fathers, and especially uh, fathers of sons that have been wayward, you could maybe understand this. It's maybe the father had been the same kind of rebellious experience that this son had taken, but this compassion is something that was deep empathy. He felt the experience of the son. He probably had heard rumors or reports about, did you know that your son is off squandering the fortune with prostitutes and parties and the sorts? And he's filled with compassion, though. Not anger, but compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. He didn't beat him. He didn't yell at him. He didn't scold him. He didn't lecture him. In verse 21, there's this incredible reunion. And the son, he's ready to share his speech. He's ready to share his his apology, his request for forgiveness. And the son said to him in verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father interrupts him right there in verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. A couple of things that he did is the first thing that he does is he just interrupts the son right there and he immediately connects with him. The second thing that he does is that he restores his son's standing and his reputation, his, at least his, his identity back into the family. This story not only highlights the hurtfulness of humanity, but it magnifies the mercy of God too. And that's the point of this story. And look at, it even goes further. And he says, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What I want you to see in the story is this reality is that there's this incredible father in the storyline when that person is to be Jesus for us to understand but we are the story of the prodigal we are the ones that have rebelled we are the ones in need of God's mercy we're the ones that make big mistakes and bad choices 
You know, this story to me hits home quite a bit. This is the exact same storyline of my personal life. I was about 18 years old, and I ran away uh, from my household. I got into two fights with my dad in one day. One was down in the field. I grew up on a, a, a ranch. Uh, rice, we called it the Rice Ranch. We still do. And uh, I hated the situation because my dad, he was, uh, we always had so much work, tons of work, always work. I mean, when we bought the property, it was 40 acres of woods. And my son said, or my, my son, my, my dad said, hey, Ryan, um, we're going to save money on tractors and we're just going to buy some chainsaws. I'm like, yeah, okay, who's going to do all that? And he's like, you and your brothers and all your friends. So bring them over on Saturdays and for the next few years, that's what we're doing. Um, at the time, I started getting into skateboarding uh, in junior high, and so I wanted to be as far away from the country. There's not enough pavement there. And so I was on a total opposite spectrum of my dad. And so all of my conversations with my dad became around uh, work and in the family, in the family, on the family property. And uh, I remember one day on a Saturday morning, I got into a fight with my dad. And it was the worst experience I've ever, I could ever imagine, to be honest with you. Even thinking about it is tough for me to get there. But I remember we got into a fight and he says something to me and I say something back to him. And the next thing I know, we're taking blows at each other. I'm, I'm, I'm 18 years old. I'm fighting with my dad in the field. And we get into this fight and finally I just run away, go up to the house, I'm sitting there. And my mom says, what's happened? What's happened? My brothers run in. My brothers say, dad, dad and Ryan just got into a bad fight, mom. My mom loses it. And uh, my dad's uh, down in the field. He's going to work through it, you know, on the tractor. And uh, then all of a sudden he comes back into the house and we lose it again. And I'll tell you, my dad's not an aggressive man. Um, my dad's a wonderful man. Love him to death. I was the most rebellious kid you could imagine. I stirred up so much conflict, so much. I got, I would get, I got in his face. I provoked him. I pushed him. I, I punched him. And uh, he finally says, leave. Get out of the house and don't come back. It didn't end quite like this right here. I wish it did. So I'm out. I remember it was one of my vivid memories of my, my uh, pigsty was I had a really sweet K5 blazer and I took the top off a lot of the time during the year. And so I had like this sweet four-wheel drive convertible. And I would drive that thing around all the time, took the top off. And it just so happened that in my rebellion and running away, it's going to rain for like five days. And so I find myself sleeping in my truck without a top, robbing shelters from apartment complexes to stay out of the rain. I'm freezing cold. I'm running out of food. I feel like a homeless hobo. And I'm thinking about my family. And I've destroyed my family reputation, not just with an event in the field, excuse me. I destroyed it with years of reckless living. And so I call home on a payphone. Yes, we had payphones back then. I call home on a payphone and I say, Mom, it's me. I want to come home. She said, Come home. 
your father is ready to forgive you. And I said, well, I'm ready to ask for forgiveness. I'd worked up my speech. I remember walking into the house. I was terrified. I punched him in the field. I punched him in the house. I was an idiot. And I go in, and the first thing my dad does is he raises his arms. Walk in, give him a hug, and I tell him I'm sorry. And he said, I forgive you, son. You're always going to be my son. And here's what I learned that day. It's carried with me in ministry. It's carried with me into my family. Since you always love people, no matter what happens, that you're always going to love them. doesn't mean that you excuse their behavior, but you always love them. And the first thing he did was restore my trust that he loved me, that no matter what I did, that he was always going to love me. And I asked for forgiveness. And from that point forward, I'll tell you, I didn't even become a Christian after that. It took another six to nine months. Finally, I became a Christian. But here's what I want to share with you, some principles to help you walk through maybe what you're going through when it comes to bad choices and big mistakes. The first one is this, is that no mess is beyond a miracle. I don't care what you're in. I don't care what's happened to you or what you've done. I do need you to know that the story that we're reading about is more about God than it is about us. And no mess is beyond a miracle. God wants to work in the middle of it. God is a, is a miracle worker. In Genesis 1, the very beginning of the Bible, it says God created. He makes something out of nothing. God's in the business of miracles. He transforms lives. He redeems people. He restores people. He renews people. He takes broken things and fixes them up. We're like clay in the potter's hand. He makes, he molds. When Moses is backed up and the story of scripture is and the entire Egyptian army is pressed against him at the Red Sea, he raises his staff and God works a miracle. God's a miracle worker. No mess is beyond a miracle. I don't know where you find yourself at today, but I have to echo the goodness of God. I am a miracle. My story is a miracle of God's powerful, redeeming love. I'm not a pastor because I think it's a great profession. I'm a pastor because I'm a product of the mercy of God's grace. And I have no other calling on my life than to make that message known. So I want you to understand no mess is beyond a miracle. Secondly, I want to highlight to you that God never promised to fix all our problems. He never promised to fix all our problems. So some of the problems that you find yourself in, some of the challenges that you find, maybe it's a financial, maybe it's a relational. I don't know the exact situation that you find yourself in, but the problems that we face are oftentimes our own doing. And Jesus never promised that the life would be easy. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna find trouble. In the book of Romans, we read that it says, God says he gives them over to the, the desires of their own heart. The psalmist says the same thing. I think God sometimes wants us to feel the burden of our pain so that we can turn to him and have nothing, no other option but then to look up. I like to say when you're down to nothing, you can trust that God is up to something. He's up to something. But to get angry at God when you've got a lot of problems, you've just got God wrong. 
you've just mis misinterpreted who God is. He never promises in scripture he's gonna fix all our problems. So what does God want us to do? Number three, the third principle is God wants us to do our part to fix it and repent. Let me ask you two questions. What do you need to fix? What's broken? How do you fix it? You repent. You literally, repent means to turn away from sin and then turn towards your savior, move in this other direction. We never graduate from repenting. So repentance is key in salvation. It means, you know, turning from your sin and turning towards the savior. Repentance is crucial and key for sanctification, the ongoing spiritual life. Because we always, we always sin. We always struggle with sin. And, I, you know, I love, I love um, Alcoholic Anonymous. I love the culture that they create at some level. Let me just explain. See, if I was to attend an AA meeting, and just for the record, I, I don't, and I don't even drink alcohol right now. I'm abstaining. Um, if I was to attend an AA meeting, I understand that the culture would be this. Hey, no one's perfect. So we don't expect you to be perfect. So we want you to say, hi, my name is so-and-so. I am an, what, alcoholic. In the church, we do it very different. It's not cool to be imperfect. Hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm an alcoholic. We actually, in the church, do it the complete opposite. To be perfect is cool, and to be imperfect is incredibly vulnerable and risky. Because we're afraid somebody's going to gossip about us. We're afraid somebody's going to say something. We're afraid God would reject us, which is a confusion of theology. Let me just explain something to you. I want to encourage you to be human and to admit your vulnerability. Let's look at Luke chapter 15, verse 21. That's the passage of scripture that I think highlights owning it. It says this, that the prodigal son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. This is a great illustration of what it looks like to repent. He's taking ownership. He's owning it. How do you fix your problems? You've got to own your problems. You've got to take responsibility for what you've done wrong. So many times we pray and we say, God, fix my problem. And God's saying, I want you to fix it. I gave you a brain. I gave you a mouth. And your brain and your mouth messed everything up. So now you can fix it. You can do your part to do the repair. And the son says, Father, I've sinned. And he understands it. He owns it. He's done two things. He's offended God. And he's offended his father. And he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He recognizes he doesn't minimize it and say, hey, I just made some mistake. And I think that's what we do so many times. When we blow it and mess up, we say, yeah, it was my bad, my mistake. Why don't you put another category on that thing called sin? Hey, I sinned. That's the technical term behind it. I sinned. And he owns it between God and man. Number four, I want to encourage you to realize this, is that God can always bring good out of a bad situation. Romans 8.28, I want to show you this passage. Romans 8.28 says this. This is kind of like the backdrop, the screensaver of my life. It's under, understanding 
that no matter what happens in life, this is the verse that will guide me, shape me, help me understand and interpret. This is the filter in which I view all of life. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Yes, everything. I think of the scripture and the storyline with with Joseph and all the hardship that he goes through in the book of Genesis, and you see all the hardship that he goes through, all the injustice that he goes through. And at the very end of it, in chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says, hey, what man intended for evil, God is going to use for good. It's this incredible understanding that you're under the sphere, you're under the protection of this crazy loving God that's going to take every bad choice, every mistake that you make, and somehow whittle it down for good? To me, I, I don't even, I can't even fathom that. But then even I look at my own life and I go, well, what if I'd never had gone through the hardship that I had gone through? What if I'd never gone through the rebellion that I had gone through? Would I carry the voice and the weight that I do now? Because literally, this is kind of the phrase or the voice that I hear to drive me through ministry. I'm like, God, there's a lot of Ryans out there. They just need to know about your unfailing love and your incredible grace and mercy. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. I can give people hope because I experienced hope. Sometimes your misery that you're going through is a future ministry of, that God wants to use in your life. Sometimes your pain that you're going through, the hardship that you're going through, your pain God never wastes that pain. He'll use it for a bigger purpose. That's what he's going to do. This is the screensaver, Romans 8, 28. The fifth point in closing out is that God waits in eager anticipation for us to come back to him. I thought about that this weekend, and, and you know, I was thinking um, throughout the week as well, just like, you know, what motivated the father to, like, be on the porch and, like, is my son, have you seen my son? He's not, he's not walking across the fields, is he? I, you, hadn't, you hadn't heard anything about my son? Is he out there? Have you seen him? Like he's on the porch looking from a long way off. The scripture tells us the father looks way out. And I thought, what motivated the father to do that? What's the character? What's the nature of the father? And I thought of this. It's grace and truth. Because this is a picture of Jesus, and here's what the scripture tells us in John 1.14 about Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Did you know that God is full of grace? The Father in the story, full of grace, welcomes him back. That's what motivated that. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. He didn't deserve to be back. But you know how the father was truthful? He let him go. And in the story, what we read is that he never, the son never gets his inheritance back. He put the ring on his finger. He got a ring. He didn't get the inheritance. He got a robe. He didn't get the inheritance. He got a party. They ate a great steak dinner. He didn't get the inheritance. But what the father was in the storyline is a picture of Jesus, our God, who is full of grace, but full of truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are full of grace and full of truth. And because of that, Father, we know that we can come home. And I pray for those here today that say they're ready to come home. I pray that they would take that bold step of faith right now and simply pray, 
quietly from their chairs, Heavenly Father, I'm ready to come home. I admit my sin. I admit I've been rebellious. And I believe your son Jesus in faith to be full of grace and full of truth. And I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. And Lord, for all of us today, Father, might we be impressed and encouraged just by the work of the gratefulness that we have. And we can be father-like figures to the world around us to be full of grace and full of truth, to share and to show the love of Christ. And where we need assistance and help, God, would you fill in the gaps? We pray, Lord, for this church to take responsibility for the areas we've done wrong. And Lord, where we just need your help, would you fix when we're beyond repair? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.